Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to FroPow, we're your hosts, Autumn Rags. This week we get to interview Double H, or as she is known in the world outside of roller derby, Erica Vanstone, who is the executive director of WFTDA Roller Derby, which is the governing body um, that Rags and I both skate for. We talked to Erica about a little bit of everything um, having to do with roller derby. We talk about um, the ways in which WIFTA is working to address inequalities, um, policies in the roller derby world, how in the world we can finally get roller derby to be in the Olympics, um, and you know, just about how to make our community better, stronger, and more inclusive. double h welcome thanks for having me yeah it was it was definitely really exciting we were all buzzing when we got an email saying like that you wanted to come on and we're like oh my god yes Mm -hmm. yeah it was great we've done a lot of work with um some really wonderful people in the pr capacity lately and one of the one of our pr reps is actually rachel rotten from angel city and uh She's just done such a fantastic job and is so enthusiastic. And so we started working the podcast beat. So we came yeah. on over to y'all. Yeah, it, I think we actually literally saw the email the same day that we interviewed her. So it worked out great. Yay. Um, so, uh, you know, we like to start off pretty easy um, and have you warm up a little. Uh, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about yourself? Oh, that's the most complicated question. Um, so I am the executive director of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, and I skate for Philly Roller Derby here in Philadelphia, and I am on the All-Star 32, but skate primarily with the B team. Um, and, oh, we were so excited to have a great season before we, Weren't we all? had a pandemic, but, um, I've been with Philly since 2007 and I started as an, an announcer, um, because my, my friend Persephone had just joined in 2006 and she was like, you have to come and see me. And I walked in and I said, I really would love to know what's going on in this game. And I bet everybody else does too. So I would like to be an announcer. And so I started announcing at the very first East Coast Derby Extravaganza. And then I became uh, an on-skates official in, I think, around 2011. And then I finally decided it was time to actually play the sport that I had been talking about and officiating for so long. And now here we are. 
Um, how was that transition for you? I mean, I, um, we know a lot of people obviously in the derby world who, um, wear multiple hats. And so, uh, what kind of inspired you to make that transition to, you know, not only on skates, but then to be a player. For a really long time, I was terrified to try. Um, and it also spoke to what was going on in my life at the time. I right three weeks after the first East Coast extra, uh, Derby extravaganza, I found out that I was pregnant with my son. Um, and so that sort of brought this cascade of events over the next several years in which I, uh, you know, got a divorce from his father and moved out on my own and became um, a co-parent for the first time in my life. And so I think getting on skates always felt like I just wasn't ready for it. And I think people that I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of people, um, often talk about sort of that moment when you see roller derby and you're like, not only just I could do that, but like, I want to try that. And I just, I hadn't had that moment um, until around 2013. And when I did, I was like, this is it. I'm going for it. Uh, but yeah, it took me a while to get there. I mean, what do you think kind of inspired that uh, kind of push over the cliff finally? I think we talk a lot about um, how roller derby is kind of meets you at the time in your life where you need it. And um, I think I just, I woke up one day and I said, just what am I waiting for? Like my, my son was old enough at the time to be able to make himself a sandwich. <laughs> if, if I had happened to injure myself, which I didn't knock on wood. Um, and it was just time. And I don't really know how else to explain it, but I just woke up and I kind of knew that this was what I had to do now. Um, what then inspired you to not only like be a player, but then get involved in the leadership organization that, you know, creates all of the rules and regulations and tournaments and schedules for um, our game of roller derby. Yeah. Um, broadcast is where I started. And that's actually what, it, what is more in line with the degree that I got, what, what I, you know, went to school for. Um, I grew up in the middle of uh, nowhere in Massachusetts, in rural Massachusetts. And when I was 17, I moved to New York City to go to film school. And so after I graduated from film school, I was like, this is it. This is my career. I'm going to make movies. And then um, I gradually realized how challenging that industry is and, and was for women content makers at the time. Um, and I am somewhat old in the roller derby community. So this is at a period before... Um, content, internet content was really a thing. So um, I moved to Philadelphia because it was affordable because New York was ridiculous for me to try to live there on like a production assistant salary. So I moved to Philadelphia. Um, and when I became involved in roller derby, I was at the time working in the film business um, and working around movies and commercials and television. And I kind of approached it from the perspective of what I knew, which was broadcast. So I kind of broadcast in production. So I kind of walked in and said, 
you know what's missing here? <laughs> like we had, um, we had some really great streams going within the community. Um, Carolina Roller Girls, Gotham, uh, Rose City in some capacity, folks were doing their own broadcasts and then would work with folks like DNN um, to sort of get them spread a bit wider. And then um, within the WFTDA, I uh, really sort of sat down with Bloody Mary Juliana, who was the executive director at the time, and said, um, what would you think about making our own broadcast program so that we could tell our own stories, we could create the image that we wanted to see? Um, and <laughs> I don't know why, but she said yes. <laughs> so I started around 2011, uh, worked as a volunteer director of broadcast until 2014 when they opened it up as a staff position for the WFTDA and I applied for the job and I just kept going in the WFTDA and did not stop, which is the key, I think, to the roller derby community. Just don't stop. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think in roller derby, that's it, or just maybe life, probably. Yeah, don't, don't stop moving. Well, yeah. I find that like, philosophically speaking, like movement is actually really good for like the, the thinking and the producing and the coming up with ideas. Um, there's actually a really interesting philosophy strain of like ancient Greek philosophers walking and talking. And that's how they came up with what they are, what we still talk about all these thousands of years later. So like, yeah, don't stop, keep moving. And I love that. Like, just, just keep, just keep swimming. <laughs> It does feel like that. And it's funny that you say that because um, I follow the RZA on Twitter mm -hmm. and uh, RZA has this whole meditation series that has this really amazing um, soundtrack, as you can imagine. And one of the pieces that he talks about is going for a walk and using that as a way to kind of keep your brain flowing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ancient Greek philosophers and the RZA are kind of like meeting at the same place yeah look at that derby skaters as well everybody just let's just keep moving you know and i i think i think that's something that is most important during this time period as well during COVID 19 is that we do need to figure out a way to keep moving because a lot of people are probably losing the motivation and the energy you know and but you know, that's, that's life. And this is a sport and you just got to keep moving. It's part of it. Got to keep moving forward. Got to keep skating. Um, you mentioned something that really kind of struck a chord with me, which is, you know, trying to, um, make our own broadcast to make our kind of create our own image. Um, and so what was your goal at the time for creating an image, um, for roller derby in general? And then now how has that changed? That is an awesome question. Um, I remember very vividly being in um, Philadelphia for the championships that happened the first time in Philadelphia, um, which was 2009. And um, I remember looking around and thinking just how uh, how revolutionary and real and, and and I know that we went with this uh you know real strong athletic revolutionary kind of tagline 
but that was really the first time that I kind of sat down and looked around and really felt that. Um, and I remember very vividly looking in particular at Oli and Oli's um, uh, A-team, their, their travel team. And when they came out, uh, they really came out of nowhere in many respects to the, to the wider roller derby community. Um, and they had a much more sort of uh, professional sports approach to what they were doing at the time. And so it was really the first time that I think I and maybe WFTDA leadership kind of sat down and said, oh, there's definitely something here. Like there's definitely a future here that we can't quite put our finger on yet. That's not a hundred percent this professionalized polished thing. And it's not a hundred percent this, um, where it started, right? Like in the rockabilly fishnet kind of mm -hmm. almost pinup approach to the beginning of flat mm -hmm. track. Um, it was evolving in a way that I think no one really expected. And so that's really where I kind of said, we should really start thinking about how we shape ourselves in a broadcast capacity now. And it was all here in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I, uh, am a part of Gotham now and um they talk or we they do um kind of footage reviews of old games um from that time period and it is really interesting to see uh that how much it has changed the game itself just the rules and the way that we play it um but also just how um people look now versus then even and I mean I love I love the like fishnets and like, um, like ponytail, like pigtails that people used to wear and all that like ripped up booty shorts. Like I'm all about it. Um, but now if you look at it, there are people who they like take themselves really seriously. Um, and I think both are really great, but it's very interesting to see kind of people taking it more seriously on an athletic level, mm -hmm. um, versus this like what I think people typically look at roller derby as is like this sort of like performance sort of like wrestling it's, but it has really evolved like so far from that. Yeah. I came. So before I started playing WIFTA, I was playing made M A D E and the, it's a very different game. Um, it's much faster played on a much bigger track, but even to this day, there's still that culture of fishnets, pigtails, the makeup, like the basically like the war paint almost. And it's 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 funny because like I was straddling both spheres for a while, where I was with these athletes who treated the sport very seriously. And that's not to say that made doesn't treat the sport seriously, but you still had that like old school rockabilly look to it. It was just like a weird straddling of two different worlds of here are these athletes that are really trying to put themselves out there as athletes, take us seriously. And here are these other players who love the game just as much, but they want to have fun and they want to dress the part of having fun. I think most leagues actually are kind of a microcosm of that dynamic playing out and I think Gotham's actually a really good example of that right like the all-stars are one of the top teams in the world um and then y'all have teams based on boroughs 
that are really rad and fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I think that those are, those are, I don't want to call it struggles, but those are the kinds of dichotomies that I think leagues are also wrapping themselves around at a local level, probably all around the world. Right. And I'm, I guess my question for you about that is, do you think that that has to do with um, us being a female and femme sport or do you like does that have to do with just how people think about roller derby in general i think it's probably both um and i think that a lot of it ha like the wftda in particular we're an organization that has evolved and continues to evolve what our what our mission and what our scope is and so there's a whole lot of experimentation that's kind of gone into creating this sport. Um, and I, I really feel like a lot of leagues probably encounter that too. Um, and I think that even still when recruits come in, like new, newer skaters come in, I think more than anything, they probably will have seen whip it or they will have seen some other piece of media that is maybe not completely what flat track roller derby is but it, it you know they buy into sort of that media uh message of maybe like and this is the example i use all the time a librarian by day badass by night you know and i think um women in in particularly in the united states in this day and age are still many of them going through that transformation of what it means to be um, it, like what it means to be, what it means to exist in 2020. And so um, I think as that continues to evolve in society, so does roller derby, right? Like we're, there are still, and, and you see it all the time too in the differences between leagues based on where they are. Like maybe people coming to Gotham tryouts or Gotham recruiting events might be going for different reasons than someone who is in a rural area or the middle of the country in a rural area and doesn't have the type of image reinforcement that you do in New York City, like the type of validation around feminism that you see every day in New York City, you don't see everywhere in America. And so I think that it, it, it really does still have a lot of evolving to do because of that. Um, so I'm curious uh, to know about how you uh, view WUFTA's gender policy in particular. That's something that we, the two of us, talk about pretty often, um, and we're pretty proud to like be a part of an organization that has such a um, progressive and um, open policy around different gender identities. Um, and so how do you see WUFTA's gender policy kind of playing a role in shaping uh, roller derby? Um, that's a fantastic question. First of all, I will be the first to step forward and say that the WFTDA has not always done a great job with this. And we could have done um, so much more to be supportive over time for transgender community members, for community members who are non-binary, gender expansive. Um, and the idea that we kind of evolved out of at the very beginning, it, 
is we 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 have, we grew and evolved faster than I think we realized that we did. So um, when the WFTDA was putting together gender policy um, initially, some of the pieces that they came forward with, um, I want to say around 2011. To the, I've been I've been involved so long that sometimes I have to think which ECDX was that. Mm. Um, I remember very specifically the policy that was brought forth was um, really limiting and 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 had been borrowed from what, uh, for example, um, the IOC does in terms of uh, gender test, uh, so-called testing, um, testosterone levels, uh, medically invasive uh, examinations. Um, those are the types of things that other sports systems have used uh, to qualify gender in some way, right? Which is really, really crappy. So I think when the WFTDA wrote the policies, they kind of took, leadership took from what we knew. Um, and, and then very quickly after that, I remember um, Philly Roller Derby, the league that I am a part of, came forward and said, hey, we think that's actually really crappy. <laughs> Here's why. Uh, you shouldn't have to prove your gender. You should be able to come forward and say, um, this is my gender. Thank you very much. Um, and unfortunately, it took a while for that policy to actually get updated. Um, and I think once, once it did, it created an effect of additional policy review, including um, in and around announcing. And one of my... Um, one of my best friends, um, Steffi, <laughs> Princess Steffi, um, who is an announcer from um, Virginia uh, and was our, um, was our tournament head announcer in the North Carolina playoff last year. Um, in particular, her work with the Talent Management Committee to push really hard for um, correct pronoun usage and broadcast, for example, or um, in venue, I think was was really pioneering and and approached approached gender in a way that I don't think any other sports still have. So the fact that um, we're able to listen to incorporate feedback from the community, I think, is our strength. Despite the fact that we're not always getting it right, but we're going to continue to try. Well, and I think that in itself is important. You know, we, we can't be right 100% of the time, but the fact that there are attempts and you're listening and you're talking about it, that is important because um, I'm a competitive strong woman also. And I know that in strong women, a lot of times it's, there's a lot of pushback that they don't want to have a trans competitor. And most especially we're seeing it um, in powerlifting as well with the US, the United States Powerlifting Association, where they don't share the platform. And a lot of people are pushing back, but there, there's no conversation because the, the Federation doesn't want to have a conversation. And that sucks. You know, you're, you're taking sport away from people who are perfectly deserving of playing the sport. And without having that conversation, you're erasing great athletes, great minds, great people. 
if you don't have them, you're losing a good part of your sport. Um, I think that brings up uh, some really good points because it makes me start thinking about um, some other issues, not just gender, but um, things around race and ethnicity um, and Native people's involvement in roller derby. And I know that there has been recently a lot of discussion, specifically within WUFTA, around race and um there have been, you know, more promotions around people uh, about with like native peoples and the creation of team indigenous and Jewish roller derby um, and things like that. And so how are you all kind of taking in feedback and making changes in WUFTA around um, some of the issues that have come up? I think the way that um, we approached it initially was to fail spectacularly. <laughs> And I think that um, it's, it's important to recognize that as a, as a cis white woman, I, I do have a lot of privilege in the world. And I think roller derby is a place where I have had the privilege to grow in ways that I don't think that a lot of my colleagues will ever have or have ever had. But I see... Um, the opportunity to to kind of help others understand the importance of where they carry privilege, of where um, you know some pieces of of uh, white supremacy culture just kind of leak into our policy in ways that we're not always aware of, in ways that um, leak into our language, into our broadcasting, into things that we really just hadn't even considered, and so. I know the last few years have potentially um, felt challenging, but they've been so important for us to be able to do the work that we're doing, which is to be able to get that feedback from community groups and say, you know, y'all are doing a terrible job, WFTDA, <laughs> do better. And I think it, it um, like the meaningful thing for me is that we are an organization that's able to say, you're right. We are doing a poor job and we're going to try to do better. Um, and I think we also wanted to make sure that we were engaging with the community members um, in a way with the variety of community members who felt unrepresented in a way that was not tokenism, in a way that felt um, appropriate and meaningful. Um, so the initial way that we had approached it had um, diverse, the diversity and inclusion committee was part of that. and so. Um, the chair of that committee at the time when it was being formed is, uh, was Gloom, who is now a WFTDA board member. Um, and Gloom and Dottie Damage, our member services manager, have worked um, to put together these accountability partnerships that we're very excited about. And uh, we don't, we have not put out a press release about it yet, but uh, you get to hear about it, sneak peek. Um, we are really excited about it, though, because they've been working together. Um, Team Indigenous is one of them, Jewish Roller Derby, uh, Queer Skate Alliance, and a variety of others who are really kind of sitting down to help um, put in the time to give us feedback, not to tell us, not to do the work, not to do the emotional labor of doing our jobs for us, but to um, work in tandem with us. Um, and we're making the commitment to sit down and make sure that we're asking the right questions. Um, and then I think we wanted to also really make sure that um, 
we were providing equity at almost every level. So we took a look at our events when we were having them, <laughs> because of course in the pandemic, we're not having them. Um, but some great examples include, um, I think the team indigenous Jewish team Jewish roller derby event that happened at our championships in Montreal um, was fantastic. But I think the things that make the biggest difference have to do with um, the things that you don't see for our events, which is that we created the position of an inclusion manager at every WFTDA event. And that person is responsible for making sure that we have gender neutral bathrooms, that we have um, quiet spaces so that people who have a lot of ADHD issues like myself or other needs can go into this room and close a door um, and have that space that they need. Um, making sure that our announcers have the adequate pronouns that they need to be able to do their jobs so that people feel respected when they're discussed on the microphone. Um, we have also worked really hard uh, at an officiating level to make sure that we have officiating clarifications for well, what happens if there is an issue around discrimination on the track. Um, we have updated the casebook to reflect uh, discrimination on the track between teammates. So uh, we, and we have updated our WFTDA code of conduct. So I think that while the, um, the team indigenous Jewish roller derby was my favorite game of 2019. Um, I think I'm also extremely proud of the policy work that's being put into, um, creating the culture that allows for the change to happen. Um, I think that's uh, like a really good place to start. And um, it sounds like there's a lot of really good um, foundation being laid to be more inclusive, which is awesome. Um, and so kind of moving forward, um, it sounds like you all are trying to be less um, reactionary to you know people coming to you and telling you what you're doing wrong. Um, and so what are some other things that you all are doing for the future so you can be more proactive um, and more inclusive in those areas? One of the things that's been really challenging for us is that because we grew so quickly, um, we didn't realize how dramatically we had outgrown our communications systems. Um, and so this sounds like a really simplistic answer to your question, but the, the biggest, most important way that we feel like we could do that is to create better, more responsive communication pathways between uh, us as org leadership and our members, um, us and the community, us and fans. Um, the, the forum that we have had since time began um, is, is, is a, a, basically a relic. And we like, it's this archaic mm, antiquated thing that served its purpose. But um, what we realized is that uh, the reps that exist in WFTDA leagues, whose job it is to come onto the forum and communicate information back to leagues, um, have kind of gotten lost in the system. And there was a lot of information that was getting bottlenecked and not necessarily being discussed at the league level. Um, so one of the things that we did was we decided that we were going to um, put some time and energy into creating a, a better member portal. So um, 
step one is to create a better portal that everybody who um, is registered within the system will be able to access information. And so I think um, when we think about how we can make it easier for folks and more uh, proactive versus reactive, I think the first thing that we realized was that communication was kind of first on the chopping block because it was, it was not effective. People felt like they weren't getting information. Um, and so that remains our sort of biggest issue to tackle as we move out of the pandemic at some point, hopefully. Um, so you also mentioned um, like kind of dealing with all of, uh, dealing with, I don't think is a great phrase, but kind of trying to solve all these problems in all of these like really different areas um, and trying to address the needs of like so many different types of people. And uh, one thing that Rags and I are really passionate about is um, addressing inaccessibility in terms of finance for a lot of players. Um, you know, it is really expensive to buy a really nice pair of skates and to also buy the right kind of pads that you need and, um, and you know, make sure you have time off so you can make it to practice and have a car to get to practice and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so is there anything that um, WUFTA is working on to help try and address some of those um, accessibility issues for, especially for communities um, who are typically low income? Yeah, that is a great question. And it is definitely something that we have been focusing on. Um, we brought our member services manager, Dottie Damage, in um, almost two years ago now. And when she came in, one of the first things that we talked about was the idea that um, membership was in need of sort of membership as a concept was kind of in need of an of an overhaul um, and one of the things that we discussed was the interest of having leagues pay dues by the size of their members um, it didn't make sense to us that there were leagues that had hundreds of members who were paying the same rate as a league that might have like 30 so uh, one of the things that we did is we went back and last year was the first year that we actually asked leagues to pay dues based on the size of, of their membership. Um, we also have membership discounts for um, leagues that have folks who do have WFTDA um, volunteer work. So um, that was something we wanted to make sure we put into place. Um, and then we have really taken a look at the way um, different currencies are fluctuating, particularly in South America in regions that we feel like are regions that we would like to cultivate for roller derby. Um, some of these regions can't even access um, gear in a, like in a, in, a, in a reasonably affordable way. Um, so dues was kind of like the first stop for us to really look at it. Uh, we created also a hardship program um, that is still in effect, by the way, where if leagues feel like they're just not going to be able to make dues, they reach out to us, they talk to us, and we will try to work with them. Um, so dues was the place where we said, okay, at a, at a league level, here's a thing that we can do. Um, then I think some of our next conversations were sitting down with manufacturers and skate shops and folks who were actually out there building the gear that people have to buy. Um, and we've had ongoing conversations with them around how it is that we can work 
together a little bit more collectively and proactively to try to um, make things either affordable or in some cases, for example, gear that has, has to get shipped to different countries, it's not even necessarily the gear that's the cost, it's the importing and exporting. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we had begun those conversations before the pandemic, and I think those are certainly things that we're gonna revisit after the pandemic. Um, and we recognize that there is a lot more support that we can do for folks who are interested uh, in getting involved in roller derby for the first time as well. Um, and partners that we can go out there and, and work with like Derby Without Borders, uh, who's doing a great job um, trying to provide resources for leagues that need it. Um, and I, I definitely think that you are asking the right questions. We are trying really hard to kind of go back and figure out what other ways we could get involved as a governing mm -hmm. body in trying to help lower um, any type of costs that someone might need to incur. So we're, we're definitely out there asking questions too. So it looks like you're on a whole, you're like, you're really looking forward. You, you're really trying to get ahead of the curve, stay ahead of the curve and really try to work through a lot of things that are affecting roller derby skaters across the board, you know, between um, gender policy and, um, you know, just accessibility in some way or form. Um, so let's, let's think like really forward now, like Olympics. Um, like let's, let's think about like the actual future of the sport, you know, as we try to come out of this pandemic as we try to build the future of what roller derby can look like for all these amazing athletes that work their butts off, you know? So I guess like my question is, do you, what do you see as the future of roller derby? Like, do you see us being in the Olympics? Do you see us being like these amazing top athletes that are getting paid like the NBA and WNBA? I, yes, no. Um, my answer is yes. Uh, so the Olympics, I think, um, folks ask about it all the time and the WFTDA had worked or sat down with and, and discussed opportunities, uh, with the former, uh, Federation of Roller Sports and now termed World Skate. Um, some of the things that you asked me about in the beginning of this interview are actually sticking points for us as to why we're not interested at this time in moving forward with the Olympics. Um, for example, the Olympic competitive pathways that are inclusive of um, the world skate pathways are beholden to the World Anti-Doping Agency's um, policies on gender and testing. And so if we, if we were to contemplate a world where roller derby that is played as it is in the WFTDA were to contemplate an Olympic pathway, that's gotta go away. We're not interested in subjecting athletes to any type of testosterone or estrogen testing or invasive examinations um, just to prove they can play. Um, so no, first and foremost, I think I don't, I don't want folks to think, well, the WFTDA is being kind of a fuddy-duddy about this. Like, this is a values issue for us. Yeah. 
Another values issue for us is the way young women are treated in Olympic competitive pathways and in particular, uh, in particularly in our country. Um, mm -hmm. The U.S. gymnastics program could not keep its young women from being sexually abused by its staff. Mm -hmm. That is not a pathway that I would want any of our athletes to enter. And so I think that those are, um, those types of issues are indicative to me of the system and culture, I think, that is, that is pervasive within the Olympic pathways at this time. And so I think it's not about, well, don't, don't we want notoriety? Don't we want to promote the sport? Well, heck yeah, but not risking the lives and safety of our members to do it. Um, the second question that you asked was around um, professional sports, and I think it's a great question. Um, I'm going to ask a question back to both of you. If you were to pick maybe five or six markets that you think would be good places to start professional roller derby teams, where would you pick? Like in the world? Markets. In the world. Um, I think that I would really like to see more um, roller derby um, in Africa in general. Right now, it's just in South Africa. And so... Um, in Cairo. In Cairo. And, um, you know, obviously those teams are very far apart and they're obviously coming from great places of privilege. Um, and so just to make it, I think, more fair for people in that region, um, it would be great. And then also the Middle East. Um, those are two places I would really like to see more. Yeah, I agree. Those are definitely Africa, definitely the Middle East. And I definitely think that we, we should see more in just in South America as well in Central America. Yeah. I mean, I really don't, I know of teams in South America. I know of some teams in Central America, but I, I feel like I, I really have to work to go and cover them, you know, and I want, yeah. I want to see more of them. And I think that the story of, um, you know, two by four is, or, you know, like the Argentinian team was like incredible and it was so inspiring and it was really great to see kind of our community as a whole um, coming up and like supporting them and trying to make sure that they were included in every way possible. But I can see how difficult it is to um, make sure that they have the ability to compete um, within the region even. Um, I think, you know, we all are kind of in the Northeast and there's a ton of like people that we can play at every single level. Um, and so it's kind of hard to imagine um, being in Argentina and like trying to be able to financially afford to go to places to compete on top of all the other, um, like other, all the other expenses you have. And um, you know, I met um, some of the players from the Malmo team um, at this past ECDX. And, you know, they talk a lot about having to like save up money all year just to um, be able to afford like one trip over so they can make sure that they get the right kind of games to make sure that they stay, um, you know, that they, they play the right player or they play the right teams in order to keep their ranking. Um, and they, have to usually come to to the US or to Australia or you know and it's far for them and so i think maybe more maybe less about kind of 
where we should set up, but also like setting up better like networks to support growth of teams and making sure that they have the opportunities to play people at their level. Yeah, I think those are great observations. And I think the one thing that is maybe something that I didn't hear you say is the thing that I think as a community, we often leave off the plate, which is fans. Yeah. Because we are, we're fans. I'm a fan. Like I love watching roller derby and I am, uh, I, I do feel like, um, and not just feel, but we've done a good bit of surveying and research and we know the majority of our fans are also skaters and officials and announcers. And so um, I think one huge question that we have to start to answer is what does the fan look like who's not one of those things? So we see sort of this, the growth of the fan base, but we also know that we kind of get our, get, get to get our act together first before we go out there and say, Hey person on the street. And I mean, we need to be bringing fans to our events for sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it is hard sometimes to feel like you're connecting with that person in the elevator pitch for like, well, what's so great about roller derby? We're always like, well, it did this for me. It's yeah. amazing because I experienced this thing. And I think that that can be hard for fans who have never or might never want to put on skates. I think that's a great point. And I, it also kind of made me think about, um, you know, now I've read a couple of articles um, recently that during the pandemic, um, more people have been buying roller skates and trying them out and just kind of like more of this like reach that people are becoming interested in roller skating in general. Um, and like people, there's like a, sometimes a shortage just because of like production, production has gone down and then the demand has gone up. Um, and so how do you think that maybe will um, impact our fan base, but also the sport in general? The last two years in the pre-pandemic times, mm -hmm. um, we were working with uh, Community and Bowls and Lady Trample um, to put together events and coaching sessions around RWFTDA events for bowl and ramp skating. Um, I and a couple of folks in WFTDA leadership um, are really excited about sort of some of the cross-promotional opportunities and, and growth potential that can exist between other types of skating and roller derby. And we recognize, and th these are usually the conversations that we're having with manufacturers, having humans on skates is good for roller derby no matter what, right? So we know that there are opportunities for us to do more um, cross-promotion or content creation and um, outreach to communities that aren't playing roller derby but are on skates doing other types of things. So I think you're totally 100% on with that question because that's definitely stuff that we're also thinking about. Um Great. Um, well, thank you so much for taking some time um, out of your Monday night to talk to us. We really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you and hearing um, more about the inner workings of what's Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Double H. Um, we certainly learned a lot, especially about how our, um, our governing body is dealing with 
the pandemic and how maybe hopefully we can start playing roller derby again. Um, if you want to reach out to us, send us an email at frowpowpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also reach us on social media um, on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, friends, don't, don't be a dick. dick.